Well, welcome to the very last message in our series, The Good, the Bad, and the Beautiful, focusing on three lesser-known Old Testament figures, Hezekiah, Jeroboam, and Esther. Last time we walked through the story of the beautiful queen named Esther, and we were repeatedly impressed with the fact that God has a plan for his children. In that message, I shared the epic story of Esther, so I won't be doing that again today. If you were out last week, you might find yourself missing some of the big picture, so just keep that in mind. Maybe go back and read it later in your Bible, uh, but this week, I want to focus in with a much narrower lens and see what specific life lessons we can learn from this woman who the Bible portrays as beautiful, both inside and out. What can we learn about life, about how God would have us to live from this simple Jewish girl who became queen of Persia, the most powerful empire on the earth at the time? Let's get straight to the first lesson we can learn from Esther, which is this. Number one, learn to accept the advice of spiritual elders. Let's remind ourselves of the beginning of the story. The Bible says, now at the fortress of Susa, there was a certain Jew named Mordecai, son of Jer. He was from the tribe of Benjamin and was a descendant of Kish and Shimei. His family had been exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar, along with King Jehoiachin of Judah and many others. This man had a beautiful and lovely young cousin, Hadassah, who was also called Esther. When her father and mother had died, Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. Now, as I explained last week, at this time, the king of Persia who reigned there in Susa was Xerxes, also known as Ahasuerus. Events occurred, leaving this king in need of a new queen. His servants went out into the empire to find the most beautiful women for him to choose from and brought them back to the citadel. Esther was one of those women, and so she left home and began living the palace life. And then the Bible says, Esther had not told anyone of her nationality and family background, for Mordecai had told her not to. Every day, Mordecai would take a walk near the courtyard of the harem to ask about Esther and to find out what was happening to her. So here we have just one of several examples where Esther accepts the advice of Mordecai, who functions as a spiritual elder or leader to her. Now, keep in mind that it would have been easy, it would not have been easy to keep her Jewish background a secret, but Esther took pains to do so on Mordecai's recommendation. And I want you to notice also that his advice was very unselfish. If your adopted daughter became a wife to the king and eventually the queen of the known world, wouldn't you kind of hope to get something out of that? Be honest. Wouldn't you hope your daughter's rise to power, her residence in the palace, would bode well for your future? Of course you would. But see, if Esther was to keep her nationality a secret, that meant she also had to keep her relationship with Mordecai a secret because his nationality was well known. It is clear in the story that everyone knew that Mordecai was a Jew. And it is clear that they did not know Esther was his adopted daughter. I can tell you that if my daughter becomes rich and famous someday, I'm thinking not only will I want everyone to know that she's my daughter, but if I'm honest, I'll be hoping for a small piece of her success. I mean, let's be real. 
I'm thinking that her mother and I might want some payback for all those dirty diapers and sleepless nights and damaged eardrums. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you know right now what I'm talking about. I promise you that when Tori was a baby, she was the loudest child you have ever heard anywhere, ever. Later on, I once heard her sing a high C without even straining. This girl can take paint off walls. Beyond enduring her newborn years, let me tell you, we've invested heavily in the life of Tori. And even though she's been a humble missionary and now a middle school Bible teacher rather than a queen, you better believe we're taking credit. And being so much more proud of her than if she were rich and famous, we are even hoping for an extra jewel or two in our heavenly crowns because of Tory Ford. Someday. You better believe it. By contrast, Mordecai continued to advise Esther to keep her nationality and therefore her connection to him a secret. No one knew that Mordecai's adopted daughter was the queen of Persia. This not only says a lot about Mordecai's spiritual maturity, but it means that his advice to her had certainly not been self-serving. Take note, the best advice seldom is. We can also see the spiritual maturity of Mordecai in the fact that he didn't try to keep Esther to himself when the king's servants came calling. Could he not have hidden her away to keep her at home? As a court official, Mordecai always seems to have a heads up about what was coming along in the storyline. Perhaps he could have smuggled Esther out of the country or made sure she stayed hidden when the beauty seekers came calling. Yet all along, Mordecai seemed to know instinctively that this was all part of God's plan. And so his spiritual maturity continued to benefit Esther even after she became queen. But only could it benefit her if she continued to accept and follow his advice, which she did. All of us need spiritual elders. Every single one of us needs spiritual leaders who are further down the road. People who we can learn from. People who can advise us. People who can prepare us for what's coming. Without spiritual elders, we can even miss out on God's best plan, I believe. Read the story again. You'll see just how important is Mordecai's spiritual leadership to Esther. Indeed, without him and her submission to his leadership, Esther's story might not have been worthy of pen and paper. As a side note, Esther actually seems to have been very good at accepting wise advice in general. Sometimes women are better at this than men, it would seem, and that is a commendable trait. One some of us need to work on more than others. How long do you drive around in circles before asking for directions, men? Well, here's one more example of Esther accepting advice. The Bible says when it was Esther's turn to go to the king, she accepted the advice of Hegai, the eunuch in charge of the harem. She asked for nothing except what he suggested, and she was admired by everyone who saw her. It really is one of the clearest points in the story that Esther benefited from taking good advice. She had the humility to understand when someone knew more about something than she did. This was a big reason that God was able to use Esther so profoundly. This is part of why she became a celebrated and renowned woman of God. The book of Proverbs tells us fools think they need no advice, but the wise listen to others. And it says people who despise advice will find themselves in trouble. Those who respect it will succeed. The advice of the wise is like a life-giving fountain. Those who accept it avoid the snares of death. 
But did you know that the Bible also says that listening to the advice of the wrong people can bring disaster? Yes, and that's also true. So, whose advice should we listen to? Great question. Answer, you need to listen to the advice of your spiritual elders. A spiritual elder is not necessarily an old person, by the way. Which, by the way, also is so relative, right? What is an old person? Some of you are like, well, you'd be a good example. (laughs) But then you have to look at somebody like Bevan and say, well, if he's old, then... Anyway, um... It's the white hair, brother. And then I know you can take it. (laughs) I love you. (laughs) But it's not necessarily an old person. We're simply talking about people who are possibly more spiritual mature, spiritually mature than you are. Or maybe even just someone who's further along in a certain area than you are. Sometimes that's an older person, but not always. Esther listened to the advice of someone who was a spiritual elder to her. Someone who had followed God further down the road than she had. Someone who had a strong and enduring relationship with God. She listened to Mordecai. Do you have someone whose advice you seek? Are there people whose counsel you've learned to cherish? Do you have the humility to recognize such leaders in your life? You need to identify spiritual elders whose advice you should generally follow. By the way, this is one of many reasons to be involved in an actual, real, specific, local church. If you get involved at Go Church, you will find someone or some people who can serve as a spiritual elder to you. I promise. They're here. In Jewish life, the strongest believers made sure to have a rabbi, a rabbi, a spiritual leader who they would make themselves accountable to and whose yoke of leadership and teaching they would take upon themselves. As I mentioned before, a typical Jewish blessing was, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. The idea was that you would follow your spiritual leader so closely as to be covered in the dust kicked up by his feet. Now, the Christian life is all about following Jesus like that as your ultimate rabbi, but following Jesus often also means listening to spiritual elders who themselves are following Jesus. And yes, your spiritual elders should include your pastors. We are called to be shepherds and spiritual leaders to the people of this church, a heavy responsibility. But this principle also applies to others who God may have brought along to help you grow. Pastors not always as accessible or approachable as others with whom you may be closer. Um, Go group leaders, ministry team leaders might be good candidates. And of course, it isn't about a position, but true spiritual maturity. For the record, there are many in this church who are spiritually mature. Many of you have been, have even submitted yourself to one-on-one discipleship with a mentor. And that is one of the reasons this church is so healthy. Just remember from the story of Esther, that God often speaks into our lives through people. If we want to follow God like Esther did, then we need to seek out spiritual elders and listen to their advice. Often we need to put that advice into action. The second life lesson we can learn from Esther is this. When God opens a door to the world, walk through it. 
The Bible says, as a result of the king's decree, Esther, along with many other young women, was brought to the king's harem at the fortress of Susa and placed in Haggai's care. Haggai was very impressed with Esther and treated her kindly. He quickly ordered a special menu for her and provided her with beauty treatments. He also assigned her seven maids, specially chosen from the king's palace, and he moved her and her maids into the best place in the harem. Esther embraced the situation in which she found herself. Some of this situation was good, and some of it was bad. I mean, ladies, would you be up for lavish beauty treatments in the palace? Not all of you, <laughs> I'm sure. But I think most would see that as a very good thing. And yet, let's also recognize that Esther finds herself basically in a very posh prison. I doubt she could have just walked out once she was there. In spite of this, we don't see her hear a person who is whining and complaining Rather, we see a person who is going to take advantage of an unexpected opportunity. We see a person who has walked through an open door and who isn't wasting time on reconsideration or regret. Notice, Esther is not curled up in tears asking for God to deliver her either, which reminds me of other heroes during this period of exile like Daniel and others. Still, we need to understand just how far out of her comfort zone God was leading young Esther. And recall that she had accepted instruction to hide her Jewish identity. Here she was, a Jewish girl brought up in a very Jewish home, and she had to pretend otherwise, at least in public. She had only ever known her routine, and it all centered around God and God's law. She had only eaten certain foods. Her life had always been regimented around certain days of the week and certain times of the year. And she would have been very, very sheltered. In fact, Esther's life had been pretty much all about family and God. So let's just say she was homeschooled, okay? It's all about family and God. Not a bad thing at all. And don't forget, homeschooled Esther became one of the greatest heroes in the Bible. But now she's been taken from her religion and her family. And she's been placed into the harem of the king of Persia. Every single part of her life is about to change. Now she'll be constantly surrounded by things she's been taught are unclean. Food she is not to eat. Drinks she is not to drink. Pleasures she's not to indulge in. Beauty treatments that were likely in opposition to Jewish law. And on and on. And yet she walks through the door. A door which absolutely leads her to positively influencing a sinful world in a way that made history. It's a tricky subject, but the story is what the story is. Try to picture it like this. Imagine that there's a young girl from our youth group, a girl who accepted Jesus at an early age and who follows him with all her heart. She's a strong believer who has grown every year in her relationship with the Lord. This girl is a young woman of purity. She doesn't watch things on TV. That uh, might lead her into sin. She listens only to music with a godly message. Let's say, <clears throat> for the sake of the analogy, that this girl is homeschooled or goes to a Christian school and she only has ever had good strong Christian friends. Let's just say that she is sheltered from the world, which again is 
not such a bad idea these days. But for the sake of this argument, let's say that maybe this godly young girl has truly been protected from worldly influence. And see, in the Jewish subculture, that's kind of what it would have been like for young Esther. Even in this time of deportation or exile during which they did not live in Israel, regardless, for devout Jews as they obviously were, it was all about being separate, about staying clean from the things of the world. And as I mentioned, there's something to be said for shelter, especially when it comes to children. But let's just say this strong Christian girl from our youth group has grown up to be a young woman now, and she's ready to be out on her own. <clears throat> let's say she's spiritually mature, and she's all grown up, and so time to leave the nest. So here she is, as ready to launch as a kid can be. And just then, the University of Berkeley offers her a scholarship to come to school there and be a cheerleader for the football team. Are you following me? Are you getting the parallel here? I don't think it's a stretch. One went to the harem of the king in Persia, in the palace. <clears throat> so should she go? Should she go to Berkeley? Well, should Esther have gone into the harem of the king? Maybe she didn't have a choice, but we don't really know that. I personally think she might have been able to avoid it. Couldn't she have looked ugly that day? I don't know. I mean, I don't think these girls were necessarily being dragged into the palace kicking and screaming. That's just not how it reads to me. It seems more that, like they'd won the lottery from the author's perspective. And so I'm betting Esther could have passed on the offer or at least have avoided it somehow. But regardless, even if it was against her will, we see her taking advantage of the moment, not cowering and complaining or even praying to get out of it all. It seems to me that Esther embraced the opportunity, the opportunity to go into the mostly, the most worldly, godless, pagan place that she had ever known. Esther must have been terrified, but she walked through the door, plunging headlong into whatever adventure God had planned for her. <clears throat> now, I don't want to stop. I do want to stop for a second and say that just because Esther went into the situation at that time and in that place does not mean that anyone should always step into this kind of situation. Not at all. I'm only saying that when God, go back and look at the point, when God opens a door to the world, when God opens the door to the world, as he sometimes does, you should walk through it. And by the way, see point one for help in knowing whether God is opening the door or not. Seek guidance from spiritual elders on such a decision. Let me point out that in the post-COVID era, um, specifically, and frankly, in light of all the woke nonsense 
going on around us and because of the rise of persecution against those who believe the Bible and because the church of Jesus Christ has been losing ground in the last few decades, guess what? We all have developed a tendency to circle the wagons. We are being pushed into a corner, are we not? We want to group up and protect each other and basically stay away from the world as much as possible. But let me tell you, this is not new. It would seem this type of push comes around every 50 or 100 years. Centuries ago, they called it monasticism. Before that, it was called Judaism. <laughs> but hear me say clearly that isolation from the world is not what I see Jesus calling his followers to in the New Testament. Jesus said, go. Where? into all the world and preach the good news to everyone everywhere. Now, obviously, there's a balance. And I've already mentioned perhaps a different approach with our children might be in order. And yes, the New Testament does remind us that we live as aliens in this world, that this is not our home, that we are exiles and sojourners, and that is all true. But that does not mean we should hole up together in communes and just sort of wait this thing out until Jesus comes back. If I thought that, I would try to get you guys to move to Idaho with me Let's set up some walls and whatever. Yeah. A couple of you out there are like, when, when do we leave? Yeah, I, no, no, sorry. Go into all the world, Jesus said. And where in the world did Jesus go? Oh, he went to the most unchristian places he could find. Places where you could share the good news with a prostitute. Have lunch with thieves. Places where people were sick and diseased and mentally ill and hurting and possessed by demons. Places where people were rebelling and preparing for war. Places where people were sinning. Jesus said we're to be like salt in this world. But as you've heard me say before, what good is salt kept in the shaker? It's worthless. Salt has many different values, but every single value that it has requires proximity. Salt must rub up against something to do any good. Jesus said, don't hide your light under a basket, let it shine. And it seems that when given the opportunity, Esther did just that. So just remember this principle exemplified by our biblical wonder woman. When God opens a door to the world, walk through it. When Esther went into the harem, she was exposed to many things, appalling to the Jews, appalling. And they should have been appalling. And we continue to be appalled. <laughs> Yet if she had tried to shield herself from those things by hiding at home, she would have missed God's plan for her life completely. She didn't run away, squeamish. She forged ahead with spiritual courage. Now, one more quick warning. Make sure you're ready to go through that door. And along those lines, don't force open a door that isn't open yet. God knew the right timing to open this door for Esther and her spiritual elder Mordecai must have agreed. But what if this door would have opened for Esther, say, three years earlier? Maybe she wouldn't have been ready. So make sure the door is of God and make sure you're spiritually mature enough and prayed up enough to go through it. But remember this, God calls people of light to places of darkness. When God opens a door to the world, walk through it. The third lesson 
we can learn from Esther today is this. Look for your biggest opportunities within your biggest trials. I don't have time to go back through the whole story again this week, but just remember that an edict had been put forth by the evil prime minister Haman, an edict calling for the death of all the Jews, for absolute genocide, men, women, and children. And Esther had still not revealed her nationality. Mordecai sent a message to Esther encouraging her to do something about it. He said, don't think for a moment that you will escape there in the palace when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. What's more, who can say but that you have been elevated to the palace for just such a time as this? You have been elevated for just such a time as this. And what kind of time was it? It was a time of disaster. It was a time when a hero was needed. It was do or die time for Esther and her people, literally. And as we read last week, she overcame her fear. She went into the king's court on pain of death. And she won freedom and safety for her people, our people. Esther's is a powerful story of action taken at the right time. If you weren't here last time, I encourage you to either read the book of Esther or watch that sermon on our website, particularly if you're an Esther fan, as you should be. But Queen Esther could have let the fear, let fear or disappointment in how things were going in her life and how it was all turning out. It could have let those things rob her of the greatest moment of her life. But she didn't. She could have said, woe is me. Why does everybody always have to pick on the Jews? But she didn't. She could have thrown up her hands in despair. She could have hoped God would do a miracle without her. But she didn't do any of that. Instead, she saw in her greatest trial an opportunity to serve God and to make a difference. She reminds me of another great heroine from our spiritual ancestry, Mary, the mother of Jesus. When the angel told Mary she was pregnant, though still a virgin, it could have meant the end of her life. Death by stoning, that was the sentence for fornication in those days. And Mary had no husband. She too could have cowered in fear and anxiety over this trial that had come upon her uninvited, but she didn't. Her greatest trial became her greatest opportunity to serve the Lord. And she said, I am the Lord's servant, and I am willing to accept whatever he wants. May everything you have said come true. And then the angel left. I dare say the angel Gabriel was impressed by Mary's response. It's not the response we see oftentimes when angels would visit God's people interesting thing about angels they usually don't say anything good after they've delivered their message usually if they have more to say it's some type of judgment on the weak response of the person who received the message Mary left Gabriel speechless and we should feel the weight of what she says let me give birth to the Messiah out of wedlock and all the dreams I had for my life, I lay down, including the man I love. In her mind, that's exactly what she was doing. Would you have responded with such faith? Remember, too, that Mary knew the story of Esther. She would likely have had it memorized she would have celebrated what Esther had done for her people annually. See, Mary was ready ahead of time 
for such a moment. Because she had learned from spiritual heroes like Esther. What about you? Do you remember heroes like Esther and Mary? Do you look for an opportunity to serve God in the midst of life's hardest moments? Maybe we need a more modern day example. Let me tell you a little bit about Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. They met at Wheaton College. They were young, idealistic followers of Christ who were ready to do anything he called them to do. Their hearts were filled with passion for God. They were spiritually mature and they were ready to go through any door God opened, however dark it may have looked on the other side. As it turned out, it looked pretty dark. They prayed for an extended period of time until they were sure that God was calling them to the unreached tribes of South America. Jim was quoted as saying, why should some hear twice when others have not heard once? They decided on the Alca tribe of natives, a dangerous and violent group in the jungles of Ecuador. Their team of missionaries spent months dropping gifts from a small airplane, hoping to temper any hostility the tribe might have had toward them. The tribe had recently killed several employees of Shell Oil, so they knew it was dangerous. Eventually, it was time to try. So the men landed and made several friendly contacts with the tribe, but only two days later, Jim and his friends were all speared and hacked to death by the tribal warriors. Jim and Elizabeth had only been married for a little over two years. They had a baby girl named Valerie. How could God let this happen? We can still ask that question. But the fact is that this unspeakable tragedy opened amazing opportunities for Jim's wife. Elizabeth, that she never would have had otherwise. Elizabeth Elliot was like a modern-day Esther. And I would just bet that she had been inspired by the story. Just as I hope some young lady might be inspired today. I read once that um, <clears throat> personal sacrifice releases spiritual power. That personal sacrifice releases spiritual power. <clears throat> That's biblical. Certainly seems to have been the case here because astoundingly Elizabeth Elliot in her grief, in her trial, she continued to reach out to that same tribe over the next few years. And eventually, it is said that the entire tribe became followers of Jesus Christ. That doesn't even begin to touch what God has done since then through this woman of God. Like Esther, Elizabeth Elliot's greatest opportunity came out of her greatest trial. And friends, that principle can be just as true for you and me. <clears throat> that brings us to the fourth and final lesson that I'll point out from the book of Esther, which is this. Expect God's best just after everything looks the worst. For this point, we're going to think mostly about Mordecai. 
which maybe will help me be less emotional. I don't know. I have a soft spot for young ladies. I have a daughter <clears throat> who's kind of lived this out. <clears throat> Sorry about that. Uh, it's kind of hard to keep that one in check. Some of you dads know. <clears throat> and, and just to be honest, I'm not only thinking about her today. There's some other young ladies in here. I may be a church planner, but I still have a pastor's heart. <clears throat> Expect God's best just after everything looks the worst. If you recall from the story, it went down like this. A man named Haman was promoted to the position of prime minister. He became power hungry, began to demand that all the people bow to him when he walked by. Mordecai apparently was the only one around the palace who wouldn't do it. Haman then set about to destroy not only Mordecai, but all the Jews everywhere. Yet even as that plan was being put into effect, it was not enough to satisfy the bloodlust of Haman. His wife, apparently a kind soul, suggested that Haman build a 75-foot scaffolding upon which to publicly hang Mordecai. So now he's not only soon to be killed along with all the rest of his people, but first, he'll have an extra special honor of being melodramatically strangled 75 feet above the ground. Gruesome. Could things have looked any worse for Mordecai? I don't really think so. Meanwhile, our biblical Wonder Woman does her thing with her brains and her beauty. And not only is the plan to kill the Jews thwarted, but now Mordecai will not be hung on the gallows. In fact, his enemy, Haman, the one who built the gallows in the first place, will be hung on it instead. But that's not even all, because Mordecai will actually be given Haman's position as prime minister and made second in command of the most powerful empire on earth. Of course, this is all reminiscent of the story of Joseph, who was taken from the depths of a dark dungeon to be made prime minister of Egypt. And again, Mordecai knew that story and was probably inspired by it, as we should be. See, folks, God's absolute best for Mordecai and Esther and Joseph and so many other examples came just after everything seemed to be the worst. And that's worth remembering. Doesn't this ring true in life? God's best is often right around the corner when things seem the worst. You'll find this is an amazingly true principle if you watch for it. And I don't really know why it's true, but I know that it is. I'm not going to try to guess the reasons this is true right now. I just know we see this pattern so often repeated in the story of Scripture, and I know it from experience as well. Expect God's best just after everything looks the worst. How can this life lesson help you today? Well, friend, if... If things are at their worst for you right now, pray and get ready because there really is hope. Sometimes all we can see is what's going wrong. 
but God can turn it all around in a heartbeat. Believe it. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is a promise that God gave me in a very personal way, in a powerful way, repeatedly during the 12-year challenge of planting River Oaks Church, our first church plant near St. Louis, Missouri. I still remember how bad things were at the time. And it seemed like maybe our church wouldn't even make it. Just then, God showed me this passage from Psalm 66, which says, For you, O God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. Maybe you've had some tough times, some refining times, even recently. Maybe you've experienced men riding over your heads and you've been through some fire. But I'll tell you from experience that God doesn't leave his faithful children in those places. See, I believe this story about Mordecai and Esther is more than a history lesson. I absolutely believe this is in the Bible to show us the way God works. He rescues his children from disaster. In his own way, in his own time. But typically the result is a better situation than ever. In fact, this is what's coming for all of us as the church of Jesus Christ. Things are going to get worse. Much worse. And we will face tribulation. But when things seem like they can't get any worse, rescue will come for us in the return of Christ. We will be rescued before God's wrath is poured out upon the rest of the world. That's the clearest biblical truth about the end times. Expect God's best just after everything looks the worst. So if you've been through or are going through some tough stuff, seek God and look for times of abundance on the horizon. We can learn through the story of Esther and so many other Bible stories that we really should expect God's best just after everything looks the worst. As I close, let me say... something that happens in our heart in a moment. 
I pray that that person would just today just say yes to you. I turn away from me and I turn to you, Christ. I turn away from my sin and I turn to you for help and forgiveness to overcome these things. I need Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior today. If you pray that kind of prayer, if you have that kind of moment with God, it's just step one. It's only the beginning of a life with God, and he will complete what he started. So the biggest key is that today you become a child of God. Would you surrender to Jesus today? And I pray for you if that's you. And I pray that you will begin to take next steps. And the most important one would be to let your spiritual elders or elders know. It might be me. It might be a youth pastor here. It might be someone else you know well. But let somebody know. So you can receive a little bit of advice, like we talked about, a little bit of guidance of how to get started with that journey. But God, I just thank you that you're leading people to Christ in this church. I thank you that we're going to have a bunch of baptisms again this year. And I look forward to celebrating what you're doing. We give it all to you, all the glory to you. Thank you for speaking to our hearts today. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.